Welcome to Influencer Business, where influencers get help with the hard stuff. Think of us as your business Bible. We're a team of influencers and entrepreneurs dedicated to bringing professional resources and infrastructure to our community. I'm Rich Scudelari, CEO of Trove. I'm an entrepreneur focused on helping influencers run and grow their businesses with the resources and information they need. I host this podcast as well as a live webinar called Office Hours, which takes place every Wednesday. Here, I dig deeper into each weekly topic and answer all of your most pressing questions. Our weekly podcast features guests from across the professional landscape, sharing their experiences and advice and answering questions from the Trove community, which you can submit on our website at www.trovebusiness.com. Welcome back to Influencer Business. I'm your host, Rich Scudelari, and today we're starting a new series, Building Your Team. I'm honored to have Camille Stiles join us today on the podcast. Camille is an entrepreneur from Austin, Texas, who started running her own events business, but soon turned her attention to her blog and social media. Camille is going to share her tips and insight that she's gained from growing her team from one person to now seven employees and a fully baked intern program. It's an excellent conversation with some great takeaways, whether you're looking for your first hire or your 30th. First, however, let's talk about hiring. It's important to note that when we talk about hiring, we're not just talking about full-time employees. We're talking about part-time folks, contractors, interns, basically anybody that you bring on to work on your business. And we strongly believe that you should do this even in the early stages of your business. But being an influencer is a very personal endeavor, so this can feel frightening. When most people hear the word hire, they start to break out in hives because their minds fill with questions like, what do I need? Can I afford them? What will they do? How will I manage them? How do I make the right decision? These are all legitimate questions, and our goal with this series is to make these questions much more approachable. To start, you need to answer one simple question yourself. Do I need help? Sometimes it's obvious. You need to file taxes or you need to build a website. You require some sort of expertise that you don't possess. Other times it's obvious in a different sense. Perhaps you have no work-life balance. Sometimes, though, it's not quite this simple. For example, is there something in your business that's holding you back? Perhaps, for example, you're not a great writer and you're always posting late because of it or you're not posting nearly enough because of it. After this initial assessment, you have to take a step back and be brutally honest with yourself. You have to ask yourself, am I really overworked or am I just disorganized? Have I optimized the business to the best of my abilities? Are there technology tools that I could be using to streamline certain things? Because the reality is, if you're just disorganized or inefficient, bringing somebody else into the mix is only going to make things worse. So have this conversation with yourself before you move down the hiring path. Often, you'll still need to build the team, but getting organized and efficient before doing that will make the interview and onboarding process a lot easier. It will help you clarify exactly what you need and who you are looking for. We have a lot more on this topic on trobebusiness.com, so make sure you head over there to check out everything you need to know about the initial phase of the hiring process. But now I want to turn to our conversation with Camille Stiles for some practical advice and tips. Camille is the editor of the award-winning lifestyle site CamilleStyles.com, where she shares inspired ideas for living a happy and healthy life with hundreds of thousands of readers each month. Her true passion is showing her community how to live life like you mean it. She lives in Austin with her husband, Adam, and their two kids, Phoebe and Henry, and leads a team of seven creating original content for her brand's properties. She also serves as a spokesperson for Target and is a regular lifestyle contributor to national media outlets. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Camille. 
So today we're being joined by Camille Stiles, uh, who is going to talk to us about everything related to building her team. Camille, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Rich. Absolutely. So before we get into the nitty gritty, let's start quickly. Give us a little background on how you built your business, how you got started. What brought you to this point? Okay. Well, if you had told me when I was in college that I would have been a professional blogger, I would have said you were crazy, <laughs> mainly because when I was in college, that didn't even really exist. Um, I moved to Austin 13 years ago after graduating from the journalism school at University of Missouri. And I moved here with no job, no connections. I had like one friend. It was one of those times in my life where I really just kind of followed my gut, even though no one could really understand why I was moving to Austin. But I landed here. I got a job as an event planner at a catering company where I learned so much. And after a couple of years of working really hard in that job, I decided to launch my own event planning company. And I also started my blog as a side creative outlet. So this was the very early days of blogging. It was pre-Twitter, pre-Pinterest. It was way pre-Instagram. Wow. Yeah, really. Um, yeah, I mean, there was the word influencer wasn't even something that was that you would ever heard of before. And I think as a result of all of those things, I really downplayed my blog as just this kind of little side creative outlet. Um, I thought it was just a fun creative project, but I really fell in love with creating content and actually having a platform to share it. And Pretty quickly, I found myself getting up early and staying up late to work on my blog while I was busy running my event planning company during the day. So it's really interesting to look back and see the way that our site has transformed from those earlier posts. There have definitely been times when I've been tempted to archive them, but (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's all really part of the journey. And I think the biggest difference has just been When I started my blog, I think I kind of wanted to be like the next Martha Stewart. I was deep in my Mm -hmm. event planning career. And there are a lot of posts that are about kind of perfect parties and impressing your guests. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But as I've evolved, I've realized it's not really me. The site has evolved so much to embrace a message of authenticity and imperfection. And I think part of it is just... I've grown up and discovered more who I really am. Um, But with that, my core message has really become showing how we can help our audience really show up in their lives and be more intentional and really live their fullest lives. Mm -hmm. So that's what the site is all about now. It's really wonderful to see that metamorphosis. It sounds like it almost started as a part of your event planning business. And then you saw it take on a life of its own, not only in terms of the audience, but also in kind of your own maturation and your own interests. Absolutely. I mean, the day that I thought wow, this could actually be a career. I think I was a little nervous to even say those words because I didn't want to take a risk and then be disappointed or I didn't want to fail. But I did, I loved it so much that there there came a time when I really wasn't that interested in event planning anymore because I was just obsessed with my blog. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, at what point did you say, okay, uh, I'm getting overloaded on the blog. I need a little bit of help. Well, I, at the time, had one employee who was my event planning assistant. Her name is Chanel. She -hmm. was helping me out with um, everything with my events. And 
luckily, she also loved working on the blog with me. And <laughs> as the site became the, our core focus, she mm-hmm. actually became our very first editor. And now, nine years later, she's grown into a talented, smart woman who is our executive producer. That's incredible. So you actually kind of had a natural pivot. You didn't have to go out and find somebody new. You had a ton of trust there already with somebody that you were working with. Absolutely. I think it was, you know, a journey that we were both really excited to embark upon. And um, I'm sure we'll get more into kind of how the rest of the team built out, but you'll see probably a common thread in that a lot of our team members now started out as contractors or interns or people who we kind of brought in to, to work on projects with. And then over time, they were really able to grow with the company. Yeah, well, I think this is a natural junction to talk about that. So your first hire was somebody who actually you worked with previously. Talk about that next hire and talk about kind of wading into the pool of all of these different applicants and, and how did you know you needed somebody? And then how did you go about kind of finding them and deciding they were the right person for the job? Yeah, so we now have a team of seven, and maybe I can kind of lay out those different roles because everyone on the team plays a very specific role. Yet, since we are a relatively small team, everyone also wears a lot of hats. So, kind Mm -hmm. of finding that balance between making sure that everyone has a very clearly defined role, but you know, can also jump in and do what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said, we have our executive producer, Chanel, who oversees photo shoots, video shoots, booking all of our resources for those things. Um, we have our assistant editor, Kat, who is my right-hand woman with all things content on the site and then also across our other channels like social and the newsletter. We have our partnerships director who runs all of our sponsorships and brand partnerships, publisher partnerships. Um, That's something that we can talk more about because um, a lot of other people in the space outsource all of their ad sales and partnership sales. And we almost from the beginning have chosen to keep all of that in-house. We have an art director who runs all of the visual elements of the site and the brand and, and designs all of those things. Our studio and production manager Um, runs kind of everything with the day-to-day life of keeping our studio running and also assists with all of our shoots. And then we have our social media manager. Wow. Each one of those people has really come about one by one by one. Um, Okay. So for instance... So you started with Chanel. Started with Chanel. Right. And she came with you from the events business. And then who was who came on next? So our art director was next, and she started as an intern. And Jen Rose was a really interesting hire because she was a little older than your typical intern. She'd been out of college for 10 years mm-hmm. and was working as a designer for a really large ad agency and just kind of said, you know what, I want to get my foot in the door with kind of a new, smaller um, creative, uh, like place where I can have more of a voice and not just be kind of a cog in the wheel. So she went back to internship land. I'm so glad that she did because she very quickly was promoted from intern to our art director and has been with us for about six years. Now, were you looking for her? Did you have 
had you put out kind of the vibe that, hey, we're looking for somebody, whether it was in your own network, actually posting a job description, internship boards, or did she come to you? Did you Was it just like kind of a, a mutual fit? So we had posted an opening for an intern. And at the time, we honestly had so many different types of needs from just someone to help out with writing to someone to help out with photo shoot styling to needing someone who could really have that eye towards design. Um, We were kind of just looking for anyone who had a unique skill set and could really jump in the ring and who we thought would work really hard. So with Internships, even to this day, I'm not necessarily looking for someone with loads of experience. To me, just that hunger and desire to learn and get their hands dirty doing whatever needs to be done. Like that's really what I'm looking for when it comes to internships. Mm -hmm. You were were looking to invest in an athlete of sorts, somebody who could come in and do a a bunch of different things, uh, but was a good cultural fit and could grow into the role, somebody that you're willing to invest in. Absolutely. So we were lucky to find Jen actually had quite a bit of experience on the design side, which led to her very rapid promotion to being a core member of our team. Mm -hmm. And so when when you initially started working with her, was it, did you guys say, hey, we're going to try this out, see how it works? You know, was it a paid internship, unpaid internship? How did you approach that uh, from a practical perspective? You know, I think... With that internship, it was one of our first, I think she was maybe our second intern we'd ever had. Mm -hmm. And that one, um, gosh, I think it maybe progressed from unpaid intern to paid intern to like part-time assistant to full-time. Got it. So (laughs) we kind of stair-stepped up, which believe it or not, we've done several times. Um, Our internships look a little different now. We've had many, many interns through the years. Mm -hmm. And now our internship program is a little bit more structured. They start off as paid roles that are very clearly defined, either reporting into me or reporting into one of our other team members. So um, we have a little bit more of a system now with internships, but at the beginning, and I, and I think that this is the case for, for most people who are at the very, in the early days of building a team, um, you know, internships are a little broader and it can look a lot of different ways because the chances are you need someone to wear a lot of different hats. Definitely. And I think as you, your business grows and matures, so do the positions that you're hiring for. The specificity increases uh, exponentially, I think. Early on, there's just so much to do. You need somebody who can come in and perhaps wear a few different hats and, and and really contribute in a bunch of different ways as opposed to now when you have seven people, the next person you bring on is probably not going to be a generalist. They're probably going to be focused on things that you need done specifically as opposed to, hey, this thing one day and another thing another day. Absolutely. And so talk to us a little bit about how you think about the hiring and internship. Do you, do you incubate all of your new hires through an internship program before they start? Is that a prerequisite or uh, do you have two different separate hiring mechanisms at play? So I think it used to be, it was kind of that natural, um, wow, this is a great intern. We want to keep them around. So let's bring them on part-time or full-time. Now um, we have a little bit more of a, um, it's a little bit of a different process. And really, I think it it depends on what level of experience I'm looking for. So if I'm looking for someone in a very 
entry-level experience. Like our social media manager started out as an intern. Um, That was someone who, again, I just wanted someone who could come in and really help out with kind of the coordination of our social media. And then that grew into a part-time role. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the flip side, our assistant editor, that was our most recent full-time hire. And that was because I got to a point where I realized we really needed someone who could devote full, their full attention to the content on the site, making sure that every single article that goes out the door is like absolute highest value, who could work hand in hand with me as the editor in chief to make sure that scheduling and contributors and processes were all in place. Mm -hmm. So I really looked for someone who had some experience and who wanted to throw themselves into a more senior level, full-time salaried position right from the get-go. Got it. So that's the type of position that we posted for with that one. Mm -hmm. Can we talk a little bit about the pre-work you did there? Because when people think about hiring someone, often they think about the actual interview process, narrowing down the candidates, where you go to find them, narrowing them down, interviewing them, and then making the decision. But actually, a ton of work has to go in on the front end to figure out mm-hmm. who the heck you need, and then right. figuring out, okay, how do I boil this down into a job description that is intelligible? And then where do I post it? So all of this work goes in before you even get to the phase where you're collecting candidates. So talk a little bit about that. Sure. So like I mentioned, I've identified and brought on our team members really one by one as it's turned into a true need. So usually that's when I'm taking on so many responsibilities in an area that's not my core focus or now that we're growing, one of our team members, I'm seeing them having to take on a lot of responsibility in a way that's taking away from what I really need them to focus on. Um, So for example, I'm editor-in-chief. I really need to be focused on the content on the site. I need to have time to write every day. You know, some of these things that are so core to fulfilling my role. And there comes a point, for example, when I realized I was spending so much of my time on managing our brand collaborations mm. to the point where I wasn't able to focus on actually creating the content. Sure, yeah. That was when I knew it was time to bring on a partnerships manager to run that side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that is a really important aspect of even identifying the need to fill a new role is I need to think about how I'm going to pay for them. Right. So some roles are revenue generating. Mm-hmm. So our partnerships director role was kind of an easy one to bring on because she's out there selling campaigns. And I knew that bringing on someone in that role, we would be able to sell more campaigns, bring in more revenue, and she'd quickly pay for herself. Right. That said, other roles aren't necessarily directly revenue generating. Right. Um, for instance, our art director role, she's not generating any more revenue for the company, but I know that she's necessary to reaching our goals and continuing to grow our brand. Mm-hmm. So I need to have just a clear vision for why that person is necessary for our team's success. And then thinking about, you know, why that person needs to be full-time as opposed to freelance or Mm -hmm. uh, just hiring contract for those needs. Yeah, I think that's incredibly important. Something that we touch on our content this week is what's the ROI that you're looking for in this new employee, in the, into the, in this new team member, right? It's not, and for some people, it's very easy. Partnerships director, you know, whatever she brings in, that's dollars in that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Whereas somebody like a social media coordinator or an art director, there might not be an easy way to tie their 
work to a dollar amount or an increase in follower amount, but you have to figure out on your end how to justify that hiring because you it sounds like you do need to expand in that area and see look at the second order consequences of the work that they're doing. Right. And I think that's a really important point when it comes to growing a team, especially when you are a solopreneur or you're, you know, you have a very small team. I think that one of the biggest keys to my success in being able to build a profitable business from the very beginning was that I kept things super lean in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, we office out of my house for like five years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was building out that team one by one. We were officing out of this small room um, in one side of my house while I had both of my kids. So, you know, if you can imagine, there were days that I had a three-year-old and a newborn in the main part of the house. And then there was like a side room where I had four employees working. I don't really recommend that to anyone because it was an absolute circus, but it did allow me to honestly save so much money in rent Mm -hmm. that I could pour our profit right back into the business and use that to build out team members instead of, you know, paying crazy prices for rent. So making those decisions in terms of like knowing that, listen, I'm, I have a small business. I'm going to keep things really, really lean so that I can invest in what's absolutely most essential. Um, And you have to kind of make some difficult decisions along the way. Absolutely. And I think that's really important because I think most of the people listening to this are going to be in that phase where they are still working out of their home or they have maybe a co-working space. And the reality is it's okay to forego the beautiful office and, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the massive windows and all of that because you need to pour that money back into your business if you want to grow it to kind of your expectations. And the more money you spend on other people who can help you grow and extend the brand versus, you know, let's face it, an office is great to have, but early on, it might not be the most essential kind of place you should be putting your money. Absolutely. So I think that's fascinating. I think this this is a perfect encapsulation of how you take something from, hey, just a hobby to a real business. It's piece by piece. It's step by step. It's not, hey, I woke up one day and had 10 employees. It is Uh, I actually had this other business. I was able to convince my business partner and the other business to join me on this journey. And then slowly we started to amass amazing people. Now, I would imagine along the way you made some, you had some missteps, you had some folks maybe that didn't work out. Talk to us a little bit about refining your process and how you end how you try to make sure that you find the right people and, and make sure you don't, you know, invest a bunch of time and effort into somebody and have them not work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we definitely have brought on some people who I thought were like sure things that were going to be the best thing that ever happened to our company <laughs> and then it didn't quite work out. Um, and it's hard because it bringing someone on is a major investment, especially if you have a small team and you know, I think for anyone running a company, their time is the most valuable thing and bringing someone on and um, getting them ramped up in a role is incredibly time intensive. So I think that, you know, it just really goes back to really investing time and resources into being really thoughtful and careful about building, building out your team. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I approach every single hiring decision as an absolute highest priority because I know that one person 
will deeply affect the energy of a team, either positively or negatively. And I think a lot about how that overall energy of a team will look and how well different team members will mesh with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something that I spent a lot of time on in the interview process and in that initial vetting process in the hopes that, you know, we could, we, the times that we do make a misstep and bring on the wrong person, um, trying to keep those, those as few and far between as possible. Mm-hmm. I think for me, probably my biggest challenge is that I'm one of those people who kind of falls in love with like a lot of people who I feel like I have a connection with (laughs) in the interview process. I'm like easily, you know, feel that this person is just going to be so amazing. I'll do almost anything to bring them on. Um, So I think the upside is that everyone on our team has the most amazing energy and connects so well with each other. But the downside is that I can have blinders on to potential reasons why they might not be quite the right fit. So in the past for me, it, the things that have been that have ended up being the negatives that led to someone not working out were things like their schedule wasn't quite right. Um, the fact that maybe they wanted to freelance when I really needed a full-timer in that role mm-hmm. and I went against my better judgment and brought them on as a freelancer or, you know, a contractor, even though that really wasn't what the role called for. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think if I could give a piece of advice about this, it would be realizing in that interview process, what are the things that actually could be deal breakers and listening to your gut with those, even if you really like the person. Mm -hmm. Um, And it may mean that you may have to let a potentially good person go if the logistics don't quite make sense. I think that's a really important point because the reality is you need a, a specific job or role filled. And no matter how good somebody might be in general, maybe they might not be a good fit for that role, even if it is just a logistical question, like somebody wanting to freelance versus you needing them to be full time. I think that's a, an incredibly important point. Absolutely. Well, and one other thing that I think um, is kind of a big issue that honestly, I really never hear anyone talking about it, but it's, I'm interested in, I'd be interested to hear in how other people in the space have dealt with this. But I've definitely had um, a lot of interns and some employees who have like a side hustle website or Instagram business or other type of influencer business Mm -hmm. um, that they're working on, which, you know, is something that I think businesses in the past never really encountered. For example, like if you worked at an ad agency, you weren't running another ad agency on the side. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a really interesting kind of conundrum and something that has led to people having to leave the company because it's one thing for team members to have like side creative outlets, but it's another thing for them to be running like a revenue generating influencer business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's something too that I think there have been a couple times in the past that I've kind of ignored or overlooked in the beginning stages because I really wanted it to work out. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it just, for us, it didn't work. Right, right. And, and this goes to kind of your ever-improving algorithm in terms of your hiring process. You start to see things that work, things that don't work, and you start to implement them. And so that the next hire, you have a few more flags that you can look out for. Absolutely. And I've I've definitely learned some of those questions to ask now. And I've also learned that 
if we do make a misstep and bring someone on the team that's not quite right, to really listen to that voice in my head that usually comes pretty early on, letting me know it's not, it's not right. And, and having that conversation as soon as possible with the person. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what role does the rest of your team play in the hiring process? You know, this is actually something that I've also, I think, learned learned about and refined my approach to. Um, I think that feedback from the team is important to a degree. Um, I used to really look for almost a consensus among my team members with hiring for a new role. And I've learned that this isn't usually the right Mm -hmm. approach, Um, especially on a small team. I think that it's natural for people to be nervous about changes. And it's the leader's responsibility to have the vision for where the team needs to go next and how the new new hires will take them there. Mm -hmm. So if there's a person on the team or people on the team who are going to be directly impacted by the new hire. So for example, our um, production assistant was going to be reporting directly into our executive producer. So our executive producer was very involved with the hiring process for that role. She interviewed along with me and, um, and had, I really listened to what her thoughts were on all of our candidates. Um, But at the end of the day, I have to go with my gut and bring on the person that I think is best for the company. And feedback can be really helpful, but I think everyone on the team is coming with a different point of view, and I have to be looking at the big picture. Right, absolutely. And you have to be the one to have, like you mentioned, that vision, and you have to see how all the pieces fit together. Because you're right, everybody's got different tastes, everybody has an opinion on something, and that's good. But at the same time, ultimately, it comes down to you because you are the one, you are the editor-in-chief, you see how all the pieces fit together. Can you talk to us a little bit about when you're in, you've decided you need to bring somebody on, how do you decide if it's going to be an intern that fills the role, a contractor, a part-time employee? How do you figure out what the right fit is for that role? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's cool that we're living in a time where there are so many people who have chosen to be contractors and freelancers um, as their jobs because it allows a lot of creatives to have flexible schedules and, um, and, you know, dip their toe in different waters, which I think is really cool. And for the small business owner, working with freelancers and contractors has saved me a ton of money and allowed me to work with people who I might not have been able to afford to hire on Mm full-time. So it's really, it's really great. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that making that decision between contractors versus full-time, it really depends on A, our needs as a company. Do we need to allocate 40 hours a week to this role? Um, It depends on our budget and Mm -hmm. it depends on the unique situation of the candidate. Mm -hmm. So I bring, I think about all of those things when I'm posting and then as I'm interviewing. So, you know, if I am interviewing just this amazing candidate who's perfect for a given role and she wants to have a flexible schedule, then I'm likely to consider a contract position if I think that that can work for us. Um, But if it's a role that I feel like I need that person to be completely dedicated to our company and to their role with our company. Um, It is rare to find a freelancer who's going to have the same level of devotion to your company as a full-timer, simply because their time and attention may be split among multiple brands and jobs. Right. 
Right. So it sounds to me like you take a step back and look at the ROI calculation. So if somebody is amazing and is going to bring a lot more value, even if they perhaps don't fit perfectly into the idealized role that you had a full-time 40-hour week, if they're amazing and can do 20 hours a week and going to bring more value, you'd be willing to invest in that. Absolutely. I'm I'm a big believer overall in approaching a new job candidate with an idea and um, a description of what you're looking for, but also having some degree of flexibility to that unique person. Um, Even when it comes to the actual roles and responsibilities of the job, there are those things that I need, but I also think it's really important to craft even the job description to play to the person's unique strengths. So I think having some degree of definition is very important, but then also having some flexibility within that. Because ultimately, you're working with people, and you know people are evolving and abstract and and different. So I think the perfect job description is in some ways going to be tailored to that unique person. Mm-hmm. It's almost self-selecting and a filter in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about success. What does success look like for you in the hiring process? Well. I definitely envision how I want the team to look with that person on the team. So I really, I really actually envision it in my mind. Like this is how our team would function and operate with this new person on the team. This is how I would want our workflow to look with them on the team. And then I think once I have that vision in my mind, I, as specifically as possible, communicate that to the new job candidate so that everyone is so on the same page and understand what constitutes success for that role, whether that's revenue growth, audience growth, improving our content. I make sure that I have those specific goals in mind for that candidate. I make Mm -hmm. sure that they know them. And then I think that it's my role um, as the leader of our team to make sure that they're equipped and have all of the tools that they need to reach those goals. So three months out, you can look back and say, hey, this is what we communicated to you during the process on on day one. How have we stacked up? Yes. And over the last even, I would say, year or so, we've started devoting a lot more time as a company to carving out time that's specifically for that goal setting and vision casting and planning Um, both as a team and for everyone individually. Mm -hmm. And this has been really game-changing for us. Instead of everyone just thinking about their individual daily responsibilities and to-do lists, we're really all staying focused on where we're headed together as a team and making sure that everything we do is aligned with those goals. So we're always reviewing our individual goals together. In fact, this morning we had our... Um, weekly editorial meeting. And as we do every single week, we kick off the meeting by going around in the circle and everyone reads their personal goals that we've set together. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're actually, they're the same for all of 2019, but we just keep reviewing them every single week so that they're always top of mind. And so that the other team members know what everyone else is working on and we can hold each other accountable. Mm -hmm. Incredibly important and, and really, really important to set the tone early on. So when somebody steps through that door for the first time, they know what's expected of them and they can, uh, it's just a guide, right? They're coming into a new position for the first time. They need to know what the measurement for success is so that they can build on that each and every month. 
Right. I think it's really important to not just assume that everyone's on the same page and that everyone knows what you're working towards. Because a lot of that stuff, you know, as as the leader or the entrepreneur, a lot of it is in your mind. And you may be several steps ahead mentally of like where you're taking the company. And you have to make sure that you're constantly communicating that to the team because they're not mind readers and you can't expect them to be. That's right. You're hiring them for many of their skills, but being a mind reader is not one of those skills. <laughs> <laughs> so exactly. What's the, uh, we're going to get into some, maybe some higher level uh, questions here. What's the best decision you've ever made in the hiring process? Whether it's a, a, a specific person you've hired, whether it's a specific way you've run interview processes, whether it's implementing a more regimented internship program, what's the best thing that you've done in terms of hiring? I think my best decision has been looking at the people on our team as the absolute most valuable key to our success and applying a lot of weight to every single hire that we bring on from an intern to a partnerships director, um, really treating them all with with the same level of importance in a way, because it doesn't really matter what level someone's on. They're bringing an energy to the team. They're bringing a new personality and a new creativity, a fresh perspective. Um, So I think just realizing the importance of every single person that's coming onto a team and, and treating the interview and application process as such, I think that's really been the key to us building a team that in a lot of ways feels almost magical. We, we frequently talk on our team about how we feel more like family than coworkers. Mm-hmm. And I think it is because it's every hire has been very, very thoughtful. Yeah, absolutely. There are no cheap hires. There are no mm-hmm. simple hires. It, it, all of it matters. Every single one matters. I think that's an incredibly important thing for people to remember. Uh, just because they maybe aren't front and center or they're not writing or whatever the case may be, it's still they're contributing to the culture and the overall health and growth of the business. Um, what would you say your biggest mistake has been over the course of your business in terms of hiring? I know I'm asking you to rat on yourself a little bit, but <laughs> I think we're, you know the idea is that what is one thing that you do differently and that our audience can learn from? I think what I alluded to before about, you know, kind of falling in love with that candidate uh, in the interview process where I almost become blind to a potential fault. Um, I, there have been a couple people that I've brought, brought on in the past who were like the most incredible people and great friends. And I would love to work with them in some capacity in the future. And I think because of all of that, I kind of made a position work for them, or I tried to make it work for them when it wasn't really the right thing for them or for the company. Um, And I think thankfully, you know, the upside is that we were able to both see that fairly quickly and part ways still as great friends, but it was a lot of time wasted, I think, for, for both of us. I think that's phenomenal advice. Um, You know, it's always tough in those situations to extricate yourself. It's really nice that you were able to do that uh, effectively. So better be safe than sorry. Make sure it's a good fit on the front end. So you don't have to be in a situation like that for sure. And to wrap up kind of the conversation about the, the hiring process, and then we'll move into maybe some more general interest questions. But if you could leave our audience with one thing, one takeaway from the experience you've had in building your team and as you continue to build your team, what would that be? I have learned to 
embrace the opportunity that I have as a leader to serve others. So I try to approach every workday with an attitude of, okay, what can I do for you guys? Not what can y'all do for me? And I think that sets the tone for the way our team interacts as a whole. I see one of my main responsibilities in my job to empower our team to do their very best work and remove any distractions that might be in the way of helping them achieve their fullest potential. And I think that as a leader, it's super important to just listen to your team. You should always be doing way more listening than talking. I think that's phenomenal advice. The, you know, you may be the leader, you may be the person in charge making the final decisions, but at the end of the day, you work for them. You're empowering them to do their best so the business as a whole can do the best. I think that's absolutely right and and very, very good advice. Sometimes people lose that in kind of the everyday requirements that, you know, you're faced with. Absolutely. And it's something, hey, I've learned it over the years. I look back at some of my interactions or conversations that I may have had my with my team in past years, and I'm like, Oh, what was I thinking? Um, but you know, it's that also is a great feeling because I do think that I've learned and evolved in that role, and I continue to, of course, mess up. I'm human. I'm not a perfect leader, but I think that if I can have more days where I'm investing in my team and serving my team um, than days where I'm not, then you know, I'm I'm getting there. And I just, for me, it's important to always be getting better and better in that role. Absolutely. Well, that thank you so much for talking us through all of your hiring advice and, and the things that you've learned. Let's let's dig in a little bit more into getting to know Camille a little bit better, maybe in a, on a separate plane. So one of the things I wanted to ask you was, if you weren't building this business, if you weren't working for yourself and building your own business, what would you be doing? Well... I mentioned I live in Austin, but I definitely think that, you know, if I were living any type of other alternate life, I'd be living by the ocean and (laughs) get ready for this. I'd be a surfer. You'd be a pro surfer. I'm actually learning how to surf right now at Austin has a, um, like a, a man-made surf park. Yeah, That's yeah. Like exactly. I mean, it's exactly like a real, <laughs> real ocean wave. So I'm actually learning how to surf in Austin, and I'm planning on taking my skills to the ocean soon. But I That's think amazing. if I were in like any alternate dream lifestyle, that's what it would be. Got it. Pro surfer. If <laughs> if she wasn't building a massive business, she'd be out there riding waves. I'm originally from California, so have spent <laughs> my, plenty of time on the beach, and uh, it's not a bad way to live. That's for sure. Um, if you were going to start this business over from scratch, what would you do differently? What's the one thing you'd do differently? I think that it took me a little while to really learn the importance of having a unique point of view. So I think in the earlier days of my company, I, I did a lot of like looking around at what other people were doing, what were other bloggers doing to succeed. Um, you know, certainly when social media happened, it was really easy to constantly be looking around to see what other people were doing and, and what they seemed to be having success with. But I've learned that if you're going to build a business, it has to be unique. It can't be a copy or it can't be following in the footsteps exactly of what anyone else is doing. So I know that now I wish I had learned that a lot earlier because I think that for many years I was kind of trying to find what that unique voice was. And 
now I've really learned to stay in my own lane and embrace what makes me different. Yeah, I think that's phenomenal advice, especially for folks who are looking to get started. You hear all the time that, well, there are too many bloggers out there. There are too many influencers. It's saturated. And and I would... I disagree with that very strongly simply because, I mean, would you say the same thing about restaurants? Are there too Mm. many restaurants out there? Yes. You know, there are so many restaurants where you can go and get food, but what type of food is it, right? What's their take on a specific type of cuisine? You know, some restaurants make it because they're great and they have a new way of thinking about things and some don't. And I think the same applies to influencers. Take a very specific stance and produce content because there are people out there who want to hear it, who want to read it. Maybe it's a new medium. Maybe it's a different type of, you know, different take on a specific topic. But uh, it's it's definitely not something that's played out because there's always room for new, exciting creatives. Absolutely. And I think that as influencers, we bring a unique point of view to the table because it's built on your own unique experiences and no one else has that to offer. Right, exactly. But at the same time, there are a lot of people who have gone through similar processes or similar experiences that you have and you're giving them a voice. I think, you know, we've gone from the Mad Men days of folks in an office in Manhattan deciding what the consumer needs to hear to actual consumers deciding what their peers need to hear because they've experienced it themselves. So... What's the, I think we touched on this a little bit already, but my next question was going to be, what's the single best investment you've ever made in your business, besides your, your own time, obviously? <laughs> yeah, I mean, surprise, surprise. I would definitely say the people. Um, <laughs> are, I, I have no doubt that we could you know, lose our studio and lose a lot of the you know, beautiful things around us every single day. But having a team of talented people the way that we do, like that's really what makes our company what it is. And and that's where the value is. Very, very true. And very important for people to remember. Uh, the things will come and go, but the people are really what drives it forward. I guess the last question here is, what's the best advice anyone's ever given you? Well, along the same lines as <laughs> talking about the importance of having a unique point of view, I love that quote. I think it was Judy Garland who said, always be a first-rate version of yourself, not a second-rate version of someone else. And Mm -hmm. I just, I, I love, every time I hear that, I just love the sentiment so much behind it because especially in this influencer space, I think it's so important to know yourself and to put out into the world the most authentic version of you. And it's really hard to do when you're surrounded by so many voices from social media and from the blogosphere and and all kinds of other media. But I truly think that it is the most important thing that all of us can do. And um, the world really needs that unique message that we have to share with them. Yeah, I think it's so true with everybody watching follower accounts and engagement and focusing on the metrics and then looking at their peers and saying, oh, well, they've done this or they've done that. They have to remain focused on who they are as opposed to what everybody else is being. I think that's a phenomenal advice. So Camille, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing all of your insights and wisdom. Uh, If you guys haven't had a chance, definitely give her a follow. CamilleStyles.com is her website uh, and her handle on Instagram is Camille Styles. That's it. Yep. Wonderful. Well, Camille, thank you again for joining us. It was such a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Rich. This was so fun to talk through all of these things. I loved it. Another big thank you to Camille for joining us on Influencer Business. 
make sure you check out her website, CamilleStyles.com, or her Instagram, CamilleStyles. She had a lot of great tips and insights, and I want to really quickly recap a few of them. First, people were the most important investment that she's ever made in her business. As she said, everything else could come down as she could lose everything else, but if she had the people, she knows that she could continue forward and continue to build her business. The second thing that she said that is really important, every single hire matters. There are no shortcuts. It doesn't matter if you're hiring for an admin position or if you're hiring a head creative director. Every hire matters because everybody on the team is impacted. The third thing that we talked about was you as the entrepreneur and the leader work for your employees at the end of the day. You need to make them better so that the business gets better as a whole. And the last thing, she started piecemeal. Many of her now full-time folks started out as contractors or interns. You don't have to go out and hire five people right away. Start small. There's somebody out there for every budget. It could be somebody who works for free because they're interested in the experience, or perhaps it's somebody who takes a lower wage because they're interested in investing in your business and showing their value. You've been a hustler up to this point in your influencer career, so don't just stop at the creative side. Be a hustler when it comes to building your team as well, because there are folks out there just like you who want to be a part of your journey. Find them, work with them, and allow them to help you build something awesome. We get into a lot more detail on the early hiring process on trovebusiness.com, so make sure you get to the website, check out the content that went live this week, and let us know if you have any questions. Next episode, we're going to cover the next step in the hiring process, interviewing the candidates. I'm looking forward to the episode because we have a very special guest, my wife, Mary Orton, the editor behind Memorandum.com, and my co-founder here at Trove. So make sure you tune in as we share our experiences on the interview process. Quick shout out to Pete Crimmy and the rest of the team at Sound Lounge, New York's number one audio post studio. They're always working behind the scenes to make sure we sound good and we can't thank them enough. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Influencer Business. I'm Rich Scudelari, and we'll see you next time.